Hello, and welcome to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. This is Marisa from the Tower Hill Production Team, and I hope you had a very Merry Christmas. And from everyone here at Tower Hill, we wish you a Happy New Year. We can't wait to see you in the new year. Pastor Jason often compares our faith journey to running a race. There's a specific route and a journey and the hills take us up and down. But our faith race doesn't have to be an exhausting burden. Instead, it can bring joy beyond measure. So let's listen in to what Pastor Jason has to say right now. Good morning, Tower Hill Church Online. I'm Pastor Jason. It's so good to be with you. Merry Christmas and almost Happy New Year. Uh, Even though we're not together in person today, it's so wonderful that we have this technology so that we can connect, that we can worship God together in this format. And man, what a blessing it's been. There have been so many blessings in the middle of the last two years, a lot of silver linings that that have helped us worship God, grow closer to our family, rethink the priorities of our life. I mean, there have definitely been some blessings, but not for nothing, it has been an anxiety-ridden journey of pain, mostly, <laughs> over the last two years. It really has. And it's like we, we were just getting excited about celebrating Christmas and New Year's. Like, people are vaccinated and, you know, things are getting safer and everything's good. And then all of a sudden, bam, COVID keeps raging and cases go up and boosters and vaccine cards and mandates. And it's like, oh my gosh, can somebody just wake me up when this whole thing is over. I don't know if you can relate to that sentiment, but and you just want to feel like I'm so done. I mean, listen, we remember when like two months into the pandemic, we're like, oh, I'm so done with this. <laughs> yeah. Two years later, still so done with it. But what if, as we go into this next year, we could think about actually taking a step and allowing God to grow our faith even bigger no matter what happens, whether the virus continues to rage or not, whether things in our lives dramatically improve or not, that our faith can actually expand in a big, big way. It's possible. It really is. It's possible. And there's a formula that's given to us in Scripture that we're going to talk about in a minute. But I know this is resolution time, right? New Year's resolutions, we start thinking about what do we want to change? And oftentimes we look in the mirror and we're like, I would like to look younger than that. Or, you know, I would like to look thinner. I'd like to, you know, build some more muscle. Or maybe we think about other changes that we want to make in our life. And I know resolutions are kind of fleeting, but I actually think the process of reflecting on how we want to get better is a healthy one. So what does that process look like for your faith? What does it look like? Because the temptation is, while we're still in this time of uncertainty and going through the pandemic, that we actually put off making any changes or taking any steps. Because it's like, I don't know, the anxiety of the moment's eating up all of our available, available energy. But what if we didn't do that when it came to faith? What if, what if we were able to take a step that grows our faith bigger? In the book of Hebrews, faith is defined like this. This is Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence and assurance. It's a confident hope that we have that something's going to come to pass based on evidence, right? It's not just blind faith. It's faith based on the previous faithfulness of God. 
We have every confidence that God's going to keep showing up. Why? Because, well, we've seen it before. Whether in Scripture or in our own lives, we've seen it before. But we also have an assurance of it. It's kind of like um, I have an assurance that I'm breathing oxygen even though I can't see it. I have an assurance about it. I know that it's happening. It's just, it's just there. It's something that I don't even have to think about. It's an assurance. And I think in the same way, how do we get our faith to the point where it is just an assurance? We don't have to think about the oxygen that we're breathing. We're just kind of breathing it. We're just kind of living it. I think sometimes we think faith like that is reserved just for like the big heroes of the faith. Oh, Moses and uh, Paul and all these folks in the Bible that we think about. Or maybe we look at sort of modern day saints like Mother, De- you know, Mother Teresa or people who really inspire us with their devotion and their service and their uh, godliness. And we look at them and we're like, well, I mean, that's who big faith is really reserved for. But the message of Jesus is actually the opposite of that, that because of what Jesus did on the cross, he made possible big faith, even where there's just a mustard seed of faith. He made possible big faith for broken people because of what he does, not because of what we do. More on that in a minute. So how do we grow this kind of faith? What does this look like? Well, um, again, Hebrew, book of Hebrews chapter 12 gives us a recipe for how we do this. So let's walk it through. This is Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I love that. That faith is like a race that is marked out for us. And we have to run with perseverance. We have to throw off those things that are getting in the way. I love the idea of faith as a race. I really think it works. It works for me in a lot of ways. One, because uh, there's a sense of urgency to it. A race is different than a jog, for example. We're we're on the clock. There's There's a certain distance to running it. There's a time period in which it's run. Our life here on earth is marked out. And that's just it. I think it's marked out. Like whenever I would go to run a 5K or something, I would I would surely hope that somebody would think to make sure the traffic patterns were adjusted so that I don't run into a car or have to get worried about getting hit, or that it's actually marked out by distance so I don't accidentally run eight miles instead of three. I, I love this idea that God has marked out our race, and each of us has a race to run, and it's urgent. We we need to race in this moment. We're on the clock to make the most of this race. And then if you've ever run a 5 or a 10K, you know that they design these race courses to show you the most beauty of an area, right? They want to highlight the area. They want to show you some local flavor. They also want to make it challenging. This is not all going to be flat or all downhill. They want to have some challenges. Why? Because in the end, it makes the race worth running. And I believe God has set up our race to maximize beauty and challenge and flavor, everything that makes life worth living if we run this race. He's designed this race for us to maximize our life here on earth. So what's the problem? The problem is, as it alluded to in the beginning, is that we get our feet all entangled in sin and it stops us from running. 
I don't think it stops us necessarily from running the race. In other words, I think you put your faith in Jesus and, and you're following on God's path. You're going to run your race, but some of us are going to have more joy and more freedom running that race than others based on how much are we going to be willing for God to take care of our sin problem that we keep stepping into. I think about that phrase that everything that hinders the sin that so entangles. And I think about Forrest Gump, right? You remember Forrest Gump? Remember uh, when Forrest Gump was a kid, he had his magic shoes and, uh, and he had those braces on his legs and he's trying to run away from those kids, those bullies who were like chucking rocks at him and he's running and he, he can't really run because he's got these mechanical braces on his legs. And I'm like, that's us. That's us when it comes to our relationship with God is that so often we've got this race that God's marked out for us, but we struggle to run it because we're stuck in our, maybe it's in our sinful habits. Maybe we have some stuff, some junk in our life that we haven't dealt with. Maybe we drink more than we like to admit. Maybe we self-medicate in other ways. Maybe we run from issues that we have. Maybe we've got some stuff from our childhood that we don't address. Maybe we have some deep, deep wounds that have made it really hard for us to run this race. How do we get rid of the sin that entangles, of those things that hinder us from this race? I don't think God wants those things there. It doesn't mean we're going to run a race and it's going to be perfect. No, like I said, it's going to have some challenge to it. It's going to have some struggle. We're going to sweat. It's going to be work. But I think we unnecessarily make it harder on ourselves when we just kind of don't deal with those things that we need to hand over to God to deal with. So how do we do it? The answer is very simple, but it's not simplistic. Simple yet profound. And that is fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. That's how we do it. How do we run this race? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer. What does it mean? Jesus ran the race of faith first. He knows the way. He knows the different turns and twists. He knows the ups and the downs. And so if we fix our eyes on him in this race of ours, we're going to have freedom to run it with joyful abandon. And the perfecter of our faith. Jesus fills the gap in our imperfections, in our lack of confidence and assurance. Jesus fills those gaps. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I always think about my Uncle Frank. Here I am, 12 years old, and I'm running a 10K for the first time that I didn't really train for. <laughs> my dad uh, signed up, and my Uncle Frank and I signed up to run it in Chinatown, Los Angeles. And I don't know, I hadn't, I hadn't trained all that much, definitely not long enough to do a 10K, and so I was getting really nervous. And, and as we started the race, you know, race began, we put on the numbers, right? We got all ready to run this race. And, and we run the race and, or, or we get things started and, you know, a whole bunch of people just kind of take off running and I'm sort of in the back and I am sort of slowly jogging as the race gets going. And my dad just took off. I guess he was going for a personal best, but he left. I had no idea where he went. And I'm like, thanks a lot. <laughs> so he left and here I am and I start jogging and I'm getting, you know, I'm like half a mile in and I'm like, I don't know if I could do this. This is a 6.2 miles is a long way. I, I never run that far before. What makes me think I'm actually going to 
pull this off. And so I'm jogging, and the whole time I'm thinking, well, what do I do? How do I get out of it? I mean, the race ends like in, in Chinatown, uh, and we started somewhere else. How do I even get to the end if I don't run it? So all these things are going through my 12-year-old brain, and I'm like, can I just go turn around and start going back? And I start slowing down, and I go from a jog to a walk. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm just going to walk this thing because I can't run it. I can't do it. And just then, my Uncle Frank uh, taps me on the shoulder. I had no idea he was still behind me. I thought, you know, maybe he was gone doing something else. But he was behind me. He never left me. And uh, he's like, come on, Jason. Come on, you know, keep going. I'm like, what? I can't. I can't, Uncle Frank. I'm sorry. You just go. I can't do it. I can't run. And he goes, no. Listen, you can. You can do it. I'm like, I can't, it's so far. He goes, no, see, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run right in front of you. I don't want you to worry about how far we've gone. I don't want you to worry about anything. You just watch, put your eyes right on my numbers, right in the numbers on my back, and just follow me. I'm not going to go too fast. If I look like I'm starting to go too fast, I'll slow down. I make, I'll wait for you. But we're going to run this, and you're going to do it. Okay, so I, I start looking at Uncle Frank's numbers and following him and jogging. And don't you know, we ran that whole race. I was very tired and I don't, I didn't run another 10K again, <laughs> but I did it. I did it. And you know how I did it? By fixing my eyes on Uncle Frank. Listen, I don't think faith is all that different. I don't think running this race is all that different. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, we connect with him every day. We read scripture, we, we pray, we, we go to worship, we, you know, serve together. We find ways of connecting with the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on him. He's going to take us exactly where we need to go at the pace that we need to go. That's what he does. That's how it works. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. You know, you wonder why there's so much uncertainty in your faith walk. It's usually because... You're not fixing your eyes on Jesus. And I go through the same thing. I, that's a real uh, temperature check for me is if I'm starting to feel kind of out of whack, that's one of the first places I go. I'm like, have I really been connecting with Jesus? Am I fixing my eyes on him? Or am I just kind of not paying attention? So I don't know what that looks like for you, but fixing our eyes on Jesus is the answer according to Hebrews. Let's keep going with the scripture. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, he's, he's run this race before. He's the pioneer and the perfecter. And almost as if to um, anticipate our excuses for not running the race, uh, he continues in verse 3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, are you tired from running this race? You think you can't run this race? Guess what? Jesus ran it crucified, <laughs> right? So don't tell me you can't run this race when you haven't even come close to experiencing what Jesus had to in order to finish. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts 
as his son. Oh man, I know I had you until I said the D word. Discipline. <laughs> Discipline. What's going on here? There's a couple of layers that are happening here, but this answers, how do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Through discipline. And there are two kinds of discipline, really, and two, I think, that are uh, interwoven here in this passage. The first, of course, we would think of as self-discipline, right? What's self-discipline but the bridge between our goals and accomplishments? It's whatever it takes for us to decide and to move forward and to take a step and all of that. Uh, and and self-discipline is incredibly valuable. It's a huge part of our lives and a huge part of how we fix our eyes on Jesus. Aristotle, actually, who very famously and I think accurately said, through discipline comes freedom. It's funny about discipline. Discipline, you know, like, like some of you may be thinking about going on a discipline diet, you know, this January. And, and as you know, it's it's no fun. It's, it's kind of painful. But if you stick with it, it brings joy. It brings freedom. It brings um, a better you in a lot of ways, whether it's dieting or exercise, whatever it is. It's funny how discipline works. It always starts out as pain, but it, it proceeds to joy, or at least it can. But that's not the only discipline that's being talked about here. Actually, more specifically, what's being said in this passage is God's discipline. He says, you know, like, as we're trying to fix our eyes on Jesus, and we're getting course corrected by God's discipline, that that is something we should be really excited about. Why? Because, like a parent, a parent's going to discipline their child. Usually, not other people's children. In other words, we should rejoice when we feel God's correction in our lives, because it means he loves us like children, like his own. He's treating us as his own. And that's a blessing. You ever think about discipline that way? I know. I think for a lot of us, you know, we think about God disciplining us and, and it's all fear and, and pain and God punishing us or putting us in the penalty box. But really, I think maybe it's more like this, where it's God might discipline us in order to bring us freedom, in order to make us better, in order to help us get rid of those things that are hindering and the sin that entangles so that we can run this race with beauty and flavor and challenge. What's the point? Discipline's a good thing because it can help you fix your eyes on Jesus. But we need both, right? So uh, he goes on, verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. Yeah, right? Take it as discipline when you're going through hard things like, I don't know, COVID-19 and the world and absolutely everything that we're facing right now. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Wow. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Amen. Can I get an amen from the back? Like, <laughs> let's hear it louder. Yes, amen. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Oh, I love that line. 
strengthen, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. So it's kind of talking about both, right? There's a self-discipline of strengthening and sort of steeling ourselves to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then there's the, the discipline that God is giving us, helping to correct our course and to take care of that nasty sin problem that keeps tripping up our feet. So really, it's like, it's about training your faith. And training your faith takes some discipline and it takes some time, right? I mean, you wouldn't go run a 10K like I did and not train. You probably wouldn't dream of that. It wouldn't end well, especially as an adult. If you didn't train for a 10K, you'd be doing the Frankenstein for three weeks, right? Because you can't walk. It'd be terrible. And, and when you go to start your training, you don't start with running 6.2 miles. You start with running half a mile maybe a mile. You do that a few times. You build your way up. So maybe for you in 2022, you need to just start exercising that faith muscle, coming up with a discipline on how to do that. And maybe you start with, hey, I'm going to start with the gospel of Mark. I'm going to start with the gospel of Matthew or John. And I'm going to read three verses a day this week. I'm going to read three verses. I'm going to think about it. And then I'm going to pray to God. Maybe I'm going to do that every weekday, Monday through Friday. I'm going to do that. And then after, after two weeks of that, if I'm feeling good, I might start to change it up. I might start to increase it or, or whatever that looks like. Or it may be I'm going to get, become part of a small group. I'm going to do something special for Lent. I'm going to do something to exercise that faith muscle. But I want to encourage you, don't, you don't have to do it all at once. Running the six miles takes time. Start small and work your way up. This way you can stick with it. So a discipline of prayer and scripture, and generosity, and worship, and service. This will enable you to fix your eyes on Jesus, and he will remove the entanglements from your feet and give you the freedom to run the race. And here's the thing about running the race. It's like, uh, again, back to that scene in Forrest Gump when the mechanism with his magic shoes finally break off, and that look on his face, you remember that look? Sheer joy. He's had the big smile, and he runs, and he just takes off. Listen, when we allow Jesus, when we fix our eyes on Jesus and he gets rid of those entanglements, it magnifies the joy of the race. Again, God wants something for us more than he wants something from us. He wants to free us to run the race with joy. And then he said, anytime he was going, going anywhere, I was running. <laughs> Why? Because he loved it. He had so much joy in it. And I think that could be us too. So, Training your faith. What are some? What are three steps you could take today? Here we go. Let's talk about three things that are super, super practical. The first is deal with it. Maybe you just need to deal with it. What do I mean? What are the habits and hurts that are entangling your feet? Maybe it's sinful habits in your life. Again, I had mentioned maybe it's alcohol or maybe it's some sort of uh, abusive language that you use toward people that you love, or, or maybe it's something else going on with you that you're struggling with. Maybe it's some sort of habitual sin that keeps entangling your feet. Deal with it. And, and maybe you need help to deal with it. It's okay. Find a, a friend, a trusted friend who can help you. Go get some counseling. Listen, we have wounds. We have hurts. Some of us in our lives have been wounded very deeply. Deal with it confront it. Don't just let it slide. That stuff, it's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. You can only do that for so long and eventually that sucker's popping up and it's coming up sideways. Maybe the first thing that you need to do in this new year as it comes up is to just deal with it. 
Say, Lord, I confess to you. Or, hey, Lord, I confess to you and I'm going to seek out some counseling. Whatever it takes. I think for a lot of us, that first step is, how do I deal with this stuff that's got me so entangled? Second is a lot of us get stuck in that first one and never do anything about it. So I think the second thing is decide. Decide you're going to fix your eyes on Jesus. No hemming and hawing. Like, oh, no, no, I'm going to do something about this. I'm not going to live like this anymore. You got to decide. And then third, let God deliver. Let God deliver. Listen for how he's speaking to you in your life and do what he's saying. You know what I'm talking about. It's not an audible voice. It's a feeling like a compass in your soul. God is directing you. Things are kind of coming across your path or you're thinking things that maybe you weren't thinking before. And a lot of people, I always joke about this, but people are like, Pastor, how do you know God's talking to you? I said, because usually it's something I don't want to do. <laughs> and it sort of, and it is congruent with what I know about Jesus in Scripture. God's in charge of delivering the miracle. Fix your eyes on him. Listen and do, and God will help you run this race. Well, I pray that you have a wonderful New Year's, and uh, I'll see you in 2022. May God bless us all as hopefully we decide this is the year we're going to allow him to grow our faith no matter what.